Hi everyone, welcome to the 22nd episode of the Women Startup Leader Series. In this series, key female ecosystem players from Bangladesh and beyond will discuss phases of investing and all things startup. In this episode, we have Samira Khan as speaker and Ahmed Yusuf, advisory lead of Bangladesh Angels, as moderator. Uh, Samir, why don't you quickly introduce yourself with the audience here today with Bangladesh Angels? I had a really wonderful experience actually working and living in Bangladesh right after graduate school. I was working on the ground with the Asset Survivors Foundation and specifically, you know, working one-on-one, writing their stories. I learned a lot about Bangladeshi culture and that led and you know, left an indelible impression on me. And that's why I really wanted to get involved in the startup space, space, not only in South Asia at large, but in particular in Bangladesh. But I think otherwise you pretty much covered my entire background, so. And I'll go to straightly in the first question, right? Um, you know, sort of your initial inspiration, um, what sort of, uh, where did you grow up and what did you aspire to be when you were younger? Yeah, that's a lovely question. So I was born in the US in the Midwest, um, outside of Chicago. However, I spent a lot of time in different places. So I lived in the UK for a bit. My family moved over to California, where I spent the majority of my childhood. I also spent some formative years living in South Asia itself. And you know, when I became a young adult, I lived in several different countries primarily due to work or projects I was interested in. So Jordan, Malaysia, Hong Kong, India, Bangladesh, as I mentioned, very global experience. As far as what I wanted to be, I think in a very traditional sense, I first just wanted to be a teacher. I think teachers have, you know, leave an impression on young children. They are helping others learn. I have a younger sister. I was always looking to sort of help her, support her in her learning. Later, it became a doctor, again, with the service orientation. I think it became interesting, though, when I was in sort of late middle school and high school, I wanted to become a political leader. And I think that gave me the sense that I was really looking for levers of change to truly, you know, change society, the rules of the game, Um, some of the injustice and inequality that I had seen on the ground, both in South Asia, as well as in my experience in the US, those were the types of issues I wanted to tackle. So I thought that becoming a political leader would be one way to do that. I never did quite become a political leader, but at the time, you know, nonprofits were separate, the business sector was separate. That was really the only kind of sense that I had that I wanted to play a leadership role in government. So that was a piece of it. And I would say in the background, I always liked to write. I was about five or six years old, used to write and read poetry and fiction, was inclined toward drama and the arts as well. And I didn't do a whole lot of that. But I think all of these different areas have really come together now for me. And I'm looking for ways to combine my interest in technology with my passion for impact and also with the creative arts. That's amazing. And that's very dynamic as a background, uh, given the experiences that you had in a global stage, right? Uh, so what led you to uh, sort of join Microsoft in the AI and sustainability side, given your background in management consulting um, and in, in, into, you know, Salesforce as well, which is also you know, sales driven uh, tech company, right? So yeah. what sort of led you to the role that you have and what motivated you to sort of see it, right? Yeah, and I mean, taking a step back, I will say some of my moves were 
more opportunistic and based on the circumstances around me and some were more deliberate. So I wish I would have done a little bit more deliberate planning, but when I look back, the narrative comes together. So as I mentioned, you know, I thought I would go into a government entity or an intergovernmental organization like the UN, et cetera. So after I got an engineering degree at Stanford and focused on technology and policy, very relevant to my work today, I went over directly to Harvard's Kennedy School of Government and got a policy degree. And I was very committed to this idea of these large sort of intergovernmentals. I mentioned UN, World Bank, et cetera. I just wasn't getting the types of roles that I really wanted at that time. And I didn't have any work experience. So a consulting firm came to recruit at the Kennedy School, Accenture, a large consulting firm known for technology. And they were specifically recruiting for their public service, social sector, practice that serves nonprofits, intergovernmentals. So that kind of kicked off this first phase of my career in management and strategy consulting. So I worked for Accenture, worked for a boutique consulting firm in Abu Dhabi that was started by a former professor of mine, got to work with the government on economic development, security, came back to the US and was doing innovation focused consulting and then eventually landed at Kearney. And at Kearney, I realized, you know, I would love to be able to use their consulting model for good. So I happened to learn that there's a, sorry, a partner based in Southeast Asia committed to the social impact space. And I contacted him, gave him a few of my ideas. He said, can you come up with a pitch deck? So I came up with a pitch deck of how we could start a social impact practice at Kearney. They were already doing disparate sort of work and projects in education and health and et cetera across the globe. Um, individuals, you know, employees were already volunteering their time, but they didn't have a cohesive strategy, a cohesive practice, a market presence, a partnership pipeline. So I really started doing that as my night job while I was doing, you know, daily consulting that was client facing and it, it became overwhelming. And so at some point, you know, he was able to make that my position. And then I ended up joining um, him in Southeast Asia. So I think after that, it's pretty much been a lot of work in the social impact space. So I went from there to other social impact opportunities globally um, and eventually landed at a startup social enterprise that was trying to form like a LinkedIn, but for overlooked talent. So those who have trouble accessing skilling opportunities, those who don't have four-year degrees, how can you have a LinkedIn type platform for those groups that's more focused on mentoring and really preparing them for the job market. So I did that for a short while. And then from there onward, it really just opened the door to technology for me. And I realized that technology can have um, an impact not only in a given community, but has the power to scale. And to me, that value proposition is very interesting, is very strong. And as we look into the future, our lives are becoming almost indiscernible or indistinguishable from some of the technological interactions we have for better or for worse. So I really became interested in bringing my full experience together to think about both the positive and negative impacts of technology. Admittedly, when I went to interview at Salesforce, full transparency, I had never heard of the company, which is surprising because it's a pretty well-known company. So I showed up in San Francisco and I thought, okay, let me explore tech. Huge, beautiful building. And I had done a lot of prep and I knew nothing about it. So it was like learning about CRM from scratch, et cetera. And they were really interested in the impact side that I was bringing. So what I will share for you know all of you is that when you're bringing specific expertise in a domain or in a geography, these large companies are very interested in that. They're interested in collaborating with entrepreneurs. So they were very interested in me because I'd worked all over the globe on social impact. So they brought me into a role 
that was focused on impact. Um, I was hired into their social entrepreneurship arm. And the idea was that I would help them basically take a look at their business through the impact lens and through the business value lens, help them focus on a strategy around the sustainable development goals, help them really carve out programmings around social impact in a more prioritized manner. And from Salesforce, I had an opportunity to further build upon that experience and take an even bigger role. So I joined Microsoft um, on their AI and sustainability side and their digital inclusion side. So I think there's a lot baked in there and it was a long-winded answer. So I'll just pause there. No, I think there's a lot of questions that come up to our minds as well, right? We're from Bangladesh Angels, we're also sort of looking into not only investment readiness for our portfolio and pipeline companies, which is going to the going to be the focus for angel investors, right? Uh, but we are also sort of building out the impact lens or impact measurement lens, right? Um, and we have been working with uh, a fund that has been set up locally called Binyogritthi. Um, that has been uh, doing catalytic financing, right, for um, companies in Bangladesh that are based out of Bangladesh that has really good social uh, impact that are being generated from their business side as well, right? Um, so, so my first question to you would be, um, what are some of the, you know, tools that you came across um, when assessing, um, you know, different kinds of projects? Um, and were you able to invest into startups or impact tech companies uh, that were interesting for you? Yeah, absolutely. So on the impact side, I mean, Salesforce really was taking an outcomes driven approach, which is obvious. I think everyone on this call would agree that we need to take an outcomes uh, driven approach where it becomes difficult is when you're solving very large problems around, you know, health, education and environment. They're difficult to understand. There are different stakeholders who are having an impact on the actual problem. And it's often very tough to get to root causes and where your specific idea or enterprise can have an additive impact. So it became very important for us to understand these systems change problems better in partnership with both academics who are doing more of the theoretical side and actually studying this space and working side by side with entrepreneurs who have that knowledge of the market on the ground, who have those relationships with the value chains so you can actually pilot things and who are bringing niche expertise in a particular domain. And, you know, at Salesforce, we were working with both the social entrepreneurs and the academics, and it's much easier to... Um, it's much easier to talk about these things than to actually get to real outcomes. So a number of different things were tried. We tried to use existing standards, like the GIN has put out existing standards um, specifically for impact investing. The sustainable development goals has in, have indicators associated with them, but those were primarily written for government. So we tried different things and quickly realized that we just didn't have the data to measure towards some of those uh, things. So we had to come up with our own theory of change and then our own outcomes and use the existing data we had to demonstrate our impact in some quantifiable manner. And when we couldn't, in a quantifiable manner, really tell those stories and those narratives about the individuals on the ground and how tech was having an impact. So one quick thing just to sort of round it out is Salesforce then came up with their own social value calculation. So they put a monetary amount on the technology that they were a sort of giving at a discounted rate into the ecosystem. And they also put a monetary amount to the volunteer time that individuals or employees at Salesforce were spending. And they came up with something called the social value calculation. In terms of you know reporting on outcomes of their technology, et cetera, a lot of it was outputs, like how many you know individuals touched, how many who graduated um, from the institutions that we served through the technology. I think the tough thing about technology is 
you're oftentimes deploying it to entities and organizations, and then they are having their own impact. So the key question became, how much credit do we take for the impact that the actual organizations are having, and um, how much is how much is attributable to actually using technology? So a lot of difficult questions built in there. Um, but I will say it was it was more about for me how the impact management strategy came to life internally and externally. So if you look at externally, you know, consumers, investors, et cetera, they're increasingly asking about the impact question. And previously for companies, it was more of a marketing thing. Now it's become a more of a strategic focus. CEOs are making big commitments around net zero, around human rights and their employees, et cetera. And they want to work with entrepreneurs on the ground in the communities to really live up to those community, sorry, commitments in the various sort of spaces and geographies they work. So they're looking for those ideas, the quantifiable measurement component. They're also looking to build products and services that serve these harder to reach populations. So impact comes into play there as well. So it's well beyond marketing and it's turned into, how do we collaborate with communities on the ground? How do we develop partnerships? How do we come up with new value add products and services? And the people who hold the most knowledge in some of the, these areas on social innovation, uh, frugal innovation, as it was previously called on the ground, tend to be those living in some of these harder to reach communities and tend to be the entrepreneurs themselves. So I hope that answers your question because it was a little bit of a, a roundabout answer, um, but let me know. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think uh, it's very important when we are also looking into our portfolio, we're actually trying to build out the impact side for them, right? And, um, you know, in terms of uh, looking back at uh, the impact chain, starts out with the activities and then you sort of go into the outputs and the outcomes, right? It's interesting to see the feedback loop that sort of gets generated uh, from your user side as well, from your client and as well as your stakeholders. Um, so I just wanted to ask um, in terms of your, of your you know, baseline thesis, um, what were the outcomes for your end goals, right? And did the portfolio or companies or projects that you worked with, uh, with an impact mandate did better um, when compared to other groups of companies or projects? That is a super insightful question. So what we found is obviously it depends on how you frame up, you know, impact. And a part of the goal with any investment is profit. I mean, that is undeniable. So you have to look at the profit and the market side as well as the impact side. And what we noticed is that the impact outcomes take longer to manifest. So whereas the profitability side, you have more you know, robust traditional ways of tracking it, it's much more difficult to sometimes track the impact because it doesn't show up in, a, in, you know, in under three years. It's more of like a three to five year timeline and beyond. So a lot of emphasis on in these companies is still placed on the profit side. So I would say taking having a business mindset and taking a business first approach to um, speaking to investors, to presenting your idea is very important, demonstrating how you will scale and open doors to markets, how what you're creating is a game-changing solution and can be applied to other verticals. Those types of questions absolutely must be answered. And I think the impact side is additive until companies and investors figure out a better way to look at impact in a, in a, in over the long term, as opposed to taking a very short term view. So it's a very hard um, sell. I, what I will say though, is if you have a really good story to tell around impact, I think that's where 
you can stand out from others. And, you know, obviously at the end of the day, investors are people. And so they are looking for something that resonates with their purpose, something that speaks to them, that speaks to a market they want to serve. So if the business side is strong and you haven't neglected it, if you also have a strong impact story to tell over the medium to long term, I think that's very, very important as well. Um, yeah, so I would say, you know, actual impact measurement and management for some of these enterprises is very hard. They don't have the data, they don't have the expertise, um, but whatever you can share and whatever you can build in early to the DNA of the enterprise, the better. Um, and it's certainly worth mentioning it, but it doesn't come at the exclusion of having just a very strong core business to begin with. Absolutely. And I think it's very interesting when you say um, sort of measuring the data, right? So we have been looking into um, one of the companies is a mental health care uh, platform called Moribundu, right? And um, what we have found is their impact angle is very strong. They have a very good business case, but most of their end users are men, uh, female, um, you know, um, clients, right? 75%, I think right now, 65 actually. Um, so we, we are also under the impact framework, um, you know, came across gender lens investing, right? Which is not only just based out of uh, women or a focused gender, but it's more about gender equity and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. um, have you come across, uh, you know, companies uh, that are, you know, looking into gender lens investing or, you know, gender focused, um, action plans or strategies uh, within the companies or projects that you've uh, come across? And again, uh, what were the outcomes of those uh, companies as well? Yeah, so uh, I would say when I began at Salesforce, the focus of the impact investment fund that they have was primarily in these areas of sort of climate change, um, impact management technology, you know, some of these cause-based areas. However, over time, as the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation got elevated in the U.S., there became a greater focus on, you know, the gender side of things. But it really started with cause areas. And the reason I mentioned that is I think it's very similar in other companies I've seen. They're usually trying to solve the social challenge first and bringing in the gender and lens piece later. Um, I think finally now it, we're at an inflection point where the conversation is changing and there's a lot more focus on really lifting women in all senses as investors, as entrepreneurs, etc. There are, of course, game-changing companies. I mean, Cartier has an initiative for female social entrepreneurs. Uh, in the fashion and sort of space, there are a lot of leaders thinking about how to enable female entrepreneurs, etc. So there are these unique one-off initiatives. Coca-Cola has one to really support female um, entrepreneurs. But I haven't seen as much emphasis put on it in the past. I'm seeing more and more of it. So I think to the extent that you can speak to gender in the work that you're doing if it is a part of something you've thought about the better i think in the future um, companies will be forced to you know even startups to report on gender both internally as well as how they serve the market you mentioned you know um, a, a particular product and the end user being primarily female i think that's going to become increasingly interesting to both investors and companies and there will be metrics around this so just like now for the environment we have all sorts of commitments now emerging around you know net zero and the usage of water land usage etc there are reports written on it there are coalitions coming there's legislation that's following i think that is going to be a very similar situation um, or case for gender as well so there's there's an opportunity there and i think one should get ahead of it i think if we're talking about um the actual sort of female-led businesses and females getting capital 
um, and how many sort of what proportion of, of investors are people, I think that's a bit of a different discussion. I'm a part of this climate change council and we were just talking about this. Um, this week and people were saying, well, what is the real issue, right? These days you see so many female focused funds, you see more female investors. So what is the real issue? You know, obviously females can innovate, etc. I mean, from what I've gleaned, I really think it is a mindset shift issue. I think it's a perception issue. So both on the end of investors, as well as on the ends of the women themselves. And so how do we really strengthen and deepen that belief that women have in themselves from a very early age and give them access to social capital, social networks, mentoring, training, um, from a very early age in this space, in the entrepreneurship space, et cetera? And how do we also really test the the mindset of invest investors and male investors in particular so i think that's where a lot of hard work needs to be done well, absolutely and i think it also came across with uh, the companies we were working with right um, especially it's easier to sort of intervene at the value chain level as well as the employment level but when it comes to leadership right um, and we have also came across a data that's very staggering is around i think 4% or less than 4% uh, female founders get funded at the VC stage, right? So what are some narratives that are stumbling blocks uh, that are out there? How can we change that uh, as we go along? So previously, um, I was a big believer in these female-led funds um, that are coming together. And that was, pre I say previously for a reason. So Portfolio, for example, is comprised of all female funders who are receiving training and exposure from leading you know, funders. Um, they also are betting a number of different enterprises, not just in the femtech space. I happen to be a femtech investor, but in uh, other spaces as well. Sort of any, they're just any, you know, enterprise you can think of comes through the door. There tends to be an impact lens to some of the work, but not all of the work. So it's really preparing women to be mainstream investors. And I think those types of programs are really helpful, but what we can't do is create a separate lane. So what I really like is with BAN, there's this women's initiative and component, but it's very much integrated into the broader work of the network. And the, and the network is comprised of both Male, males and females. So I think that's how it really needs to be done going forward, because otherwise there'll always be this sort of female, you know, investor lane or female founders sort of carved out, separated. We really need to mainstream things and strengthen women at the same time. So I would say that is the direction we should be going. Um, I think mentorship is huge. I think because of how slammed some of the successful entrepreneurs and investors are, they don't often have as much time to to give back in a particular way, but I do think women need to double down on really building that next generation of female investors and leaders, and we will certainly see see this space change over the next decade or so. Absolutely, I think, and uh, we can sort of be a tiny part of that as well. Um, I feel like we have a twenty eight percent portfolio female led or female focused businesses, mm -hmm. um, but we were largely on uh, you know not cognizant about that fact, right? Um, but we're now you know sort of mobilizing our um, you know, resources so that we can have that agenda as well going forward, which is one of our focus for BWIN, right? Um, just wanted to understand quickly, right? What are the pitfalls that you have seen, right? Even after, you know, coming together with a community like this that are focused on, um, you know, mobilizing or sort of giving a spotlight to uh, women-focused founders or focused businesses, right? 
Um, but there are challenges. Um, but at the end of the day, we're focused on investment ready companies. Most of the you know angels that we have, right? Um, they're more you know focused on the first P, which is profit, which you just mentioned, right? Um, so what are some you know bottlenecks there, and how can we sort of uh, overcome that um, as we go along? Yeah, so with regards to the bottlenecks, are we talking about the impact sort of measurement side of things or females and kind of elevating their presence in the enterprise or? The second side, uh, so the leadership side and how to sort of elevate them and you know get them funded, right? So yeah. I, I feel like we have a good uh, you know portfolio base right now, but we're not cognizant right about that till now. But we want to sort of, um, you know, mobilize our resources so that more women-focused businesses and uh, women-led founders get funded, right, through Bangladesh yeah. Angels. So just asking, what can be some bottlenecks, you know, around that topic? Yeah, I know. Great. That's 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 a, a great question. And I think um, in previous discussions, we've kind of separated out this idea of business-led, you know, enterprise or. or you know, the founders themselves, and then those that are serving sort of the female market or females. So I think it's good to keep them separate. I think in terms of surveying sort of females as a market, et cetera, some of the pitfalls I've seen are cookie cutter sort of templatized methods or products that have not been well researched. So women have not really been put at the center of design. Um, shockingly, maybe the data that's used wasn't, um, didn't include sort of women in an appropriate manner. So there's faulty data there, lack of quality data there. There haven't been enough conversations or pilots to test the product with women. They're not solving for the core challenge, et cetera. So really having a robust process around innovation, experimentation, I think is important to truly launch something that is uh, resonates with the female market that serves their need, et cetera. And there's many ways to do that, but I think, having that market driven approach and really serving the needs of the market is very important. And it's, it is really difficult even in the tech sector, because as I mentioned, you know, pilots have been done on limited groups and certainly not globally. So that's one piece of it. I think in terms of female founders themselves and kind of elevating their voices, the social network is huge. So that's why, again, I've, I've joined the network myself is I think having more and more people join uh, does two things and creating these kind of mechanisms and structures. One, you can learn from one another. So having those feedback loops internally, calls such as this, where you're learning from others in different spaces, having a platform, if there's any way to share learnings around like enterprises in the health sector, et cetera, in certain, you know, serving certain populations, however you can cut the information. I think that type of data sharing around outcomes, around design, will be very critical um, and especially critical when you're talking about female founders trying to prove that they have a worthy idea to invest in. I think what one also has to think about is the dynamics on sort of the, the global scene. So how do you get these enterprises and entrepreneurs um, on the global scene? And I think if the network continue to build relationships with these accelerators, these labs in other countries and really get these women in front of those audiences after giving them you know, strong preparation and mentorship, that would be excellent. And I see a lot of scope and opportunity for that. And I see a lot of similar initiatives out there and happy to discuss that offline. 
Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of um, you know experience that you can bring on onto the table, and we can learn a lot from you, right? Um, and speaking of which, you know, we also came across um, you know biases that exist, right? When you know judging or sort of looking into companies, right? Uh, the the conscious biases they're easier to tackle. Um, what are some unconscious biases when you know investors um, are evaluating women-led startups and sort of what can be done to sort of separate those and also sort of uh, be cognizant that they shouldn't be doing that, right? When uh, evaluating um, companies. Yeah, so I think some of the the biases commingled with other factors. So some female founders are not coming with your traditional um business background they don't and this happens to males as well they don't have an mba they haven't worked at big companies maybe they haven't worked in finance etc um and so they may not be coming from you know a global pedigree they may have studied locally so all of these things you know that also affect males affect women i think women are just harder hit by them so basically as a female when you're coming with some of these barriers it's even harder. It's even harder for you to get somebody's attention. And it's just the magnitude of the impact is so much greater. And that's why I think these mentorship programs for women, getting them involved and in front of, you know, accelerators, getting them in front of key decision makers, other females who've been through the process is very important to really professionalize the approach toward um, how female founders show up in front of investors. So that's a piece of it. I will say on you know my end, I've been asked to be a judge to uh, weigh in on various enterprises. I've been involved in so many global competitions, all great, right? But you know what the problem is? I'm usually called to the table because it's something in South Asia or something in Asia, or it's a women specific, you know, competition or a program, or, you know, it's young girls focused, or they didn't have a woman and they didn't have anyone of my racial background. So I'm plugged in in very select places. And it's not like traditional VC is like clearing a seat for me. It's really not like that. So I'm in the same sort of race with everyone else, maybe just in a different different spot because I've worked at some of these companies. I have some, you know, degrees that they might be looking for, but it's even, it's really hard for, for people, even after all that to really um, sort of knock on these doors and get capital. And that's why the percentages are so low. So I think, um, and that affects the belief, the confidence of women to be able to do that. So even now I think, you know, like how would I ever get funding? I have this really great idea. How will I ever get funding? So that's why we need more role models and more training. Um, and more companies, holding more companies accountable and those with deeper pockets to invest in these programs for women in particular. Absolutely. And I think uh, I'll go to my next question um, on investments, right? Now, what sort of got you into angel investments um, or sort of um, into the investing space, right? Um, if you can give us a highlight. Yeah, I mean, I was very nervous about the space because I don't have a finance background at all. Um, it was my exposure at Salesforce to the Impact Investment Fund. It's led by a female. The team is primarily female. And, you know, this is an area that's very important to Mark Benioff as the CEO. He does his own private investing on the side as well. And the fund was just so well constructed around education, health, social impact. Really interesting. I started interacting a lot with the fund itself because that's where I had access. 
And I thought, look, this is something I can do um, primarily because I want to support entrepreneurs. I'm very passionate about it. And if I don't support them, you know, how will somebody support me one day? So it was kind of that idea. It was more through a philosophical lens and through an impact lens, because I think capital and attracting capital to the impact space and to harder to reach markets is one of the biggest barriers to really expanding the ecosystem um, in some of these areas. Very interesting. And um, do you have like an overall thesis or white spaces that you look into um, before you sort of select a company? Um, is it top down usually or bottom up in, in from the value chain level? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really great question. Usually it's top down just because that's the way, that's where I've gotten exposure and things have been done. I'm more interested though in, you know, a lot of the sort of grassroots innovations that are very, very early, very, very early. Um, I think that's where there's the biggest gap. So from an impact perspective, that's the direction I certainly would like to move. There is a focus um, on gender and female-led businesses for certain. The extent to which the enterprise is looking at an excluded market and trying to serve an excluded market, the extent to which the solution is, is scalable, and I mentioned this earlier, applicable to different verticals. I find that some of the solutions that come through our door are not necessarily scalable, um, not because the model isn't good, but there is no really plan to scale. So I think you know, as you sort of pitch and speak to others to really think about and be able to clearly articulate what is your plan for scale and to the extent possible in a numerical way. So you're showing the ramp up of your business over time. And I find that those who are social entrepreneurs, uh, for some reason, tend to have a harder time with this with the scale up model. So that's another piece of it. Um, yeah, so I mentioned excluded markets and early stage. I'd say those are those are really important criteria. Very interesting. Um, so I'll, I'll also put a spotlight on you in terms of um, if you're an impact investor, right? How do you sort of look into investments? Uh, let's say, are you looking for market returns? Are you looking a little less than market returns with some impact or no market returns or re really low returns, but high on impact uh, when it's social enterprises and especially early stage? So what is your tenure as well as how do you sort of look at the returns perspective as well? Yeah. And so if I look at others, I'd say, you know, there's certainly a huge spectrum of this. Um, and when I've dealt with other investors outside, there's been a heavy focus on profitability and some impact. I'm seeing that changing and there's a mix. It's, it's, it's much more mixed. So for me though, um, it's not necessarily market level returns because I feel like if, if, it, if that were the case, then a lot of very important um, impact focused solutions wouldn't get funded. And so that's to me the main barrier. So certainly not looking for sort of market level returns because in some cases it's not even possible. So it's not just impact from a storytelling perspective. I would say it's impact first, but it's definitely, as I mentioned, not impact only because if the core business is not strong, it's just not gonna work. Absolutely. Yeah, and that makes sense. Um, is there any specific uh, sectors you're looking in into Bangladesh uh, just to get a highlight? Uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's another good question. So I literally more recently joined, right, the network. And part of the reason I joined was to actually learn, learn about, you know, which sectors some of these ideas um, and enterprises are emerging in, et cetera. I found a great diversity. It's exciting. You know, anything from the sort of informal, sort of work, informal workers or informal economy to transportation to female hygiene and health tech. So a lot education so so much variety so i would say for me right now it's not about the sector because it's not like there's 
there's a lot of variety, but it's not like there's there's a whole universe where we're necessarily choosing from at this moment. It's about the strength of um, the strength of the business and the, its impact. Because I think if there are some good wins with regards to really successful enterprises um, coming out of Bangladesh, it's just going to continue to attract more capital. So again, it has to have a really strong business. Um, and the impact side has to be solid, but it can be in, on any topic and in any area that is really relevant to the market. And everything I've seen to date is relevant to the market. That's very interesting. And I think there are some companies in that categories you mentioned and would love to have a chat offline uh, to just go through it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of, let's say, uh, companies that don't make the cut for you, right? What do you say to them? And um, how do you sort of uh, tell them to come back to you? Um, is there any uh, formal process or a feedback loop that you sort of give to every entrepreneur that you speak to? Um, and what's your sort of take on that? Yeah, and I think a lot of this also comes from the Salesforce training. Um, so basically, when there was an enterprise that wasn't ready for investment yet by the investment fund, we would keep in touch with the entrepreneur because if the entrepreneur seems like somebody who has great ideas, who has a lot of potential, because if it's not this venture, they might be tomorrow coming out and starting something else that's very sort of interesting and worthy of investment. And there's a greater notion around co-creation and collaboration. So I would encourage, you know, uh, an entrepreneur to have that initial conversation to develop a relationship with me or anyone else and to periodically share the evolution and and of their thinking and of any pilots any pilot results and to get their feedback to almost you know bring certain people you like on board as informal um, advisors and to work with them over time to really co-create um, and then they may have the the capital, the social capital, to allow you the opportunity to test and pilot some of these things with big companies. So what I'm noticing sometimes is entrepreneurs are having a really hard time raising capital. So they're actually sometimes going to these larger companies to really um, pilot and test things. I think that's a tricky space because the negotiation is tough. The give gets are tough. You have to be open to feedback. Um, and you also want to preserve your idea and your space for your own enterprise, as opposed to it being, quote, swallowed by the big company. But it's an interesting space. So I would say develop that relationship and keep sharing your progress um, You know, keep sharing your progress with the person who wasn't interested, whether it be me or someone else. Absolutely. And um, I think that's great feedback that we also give to all the companies that we come across as well. It's great practice to just be on the, you know, um, speaking end with the investor side. Um, in terms of, um, I would say, um, in terms of uh, looking into different um, market um, outside of Bangladesh, right? Um, how do you sort of see social enterprises uh, scale beyond their you know home market um, have you come across companies and can you give examples uh, that we can learn from yeah um so one like one is through these relationships with large companies and that's kind of a cop-out answer because a lot of it is coming from these large companies having the global footprint already there having the operations already there so there's a lot of startups that we've worked with um, both on the microsoft side and the salesforce side that have been able to scale globally because they're going through these formal programs social entrepreneurship programs so they're getting business support from the companies they're getting some capital um, companies are vested in them so they've been able to scale 
I think what's tougher is, let's say, you know, something emerging out of one country in South Asia scaling to another that really depends on the relationships that exist across borders around um, capital, around entrepreneurs talking to one another through these networks, etc. As I understand, Van's done a really good job of being plugged into the region and different sort of ideas that are emerging from the region and different entrepreneurs. I would say that's the best way. My experience mostly, unfortunately, has been with US and Europe um, led businesses, then expanding to other parts of, of the globe. So for example, you know, Kiva is a microfinance platform that has scaled significantly and it's very, very large and well known. And they, you know, have scaled to different markets in Africa and Asia, et cetera. But they were kind of founded and established in the US, they have strong relationships with foundations, so can get that catalytic grant capital, but also have relationships with investors. I have less experience with something coming out of, let's say one country um, and expanding to others, like, you know, whether it be like Grab or Kareem or et cetera. I don't have personal experience. I think there are some good examples though. And those entrepreneurs are definitely some, some people to tap into and how they really navigated the relationships and the legislative barriers on the ground would be questions I would ask. No, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the companies that grow larger, it's easier for them to actually look back and find out the impact component within the value chain, right? For example, Uber changing livelihoods of, you know, riders within, you know, very marginalized communities and also attracting, you know, gender diverse, uh, you know, riders within their value chain as well. Um, and if, yeah, sorry, if you wanna. No, I was just gonna say one thing, you know, um... I went in with a very impact first lens to everything because you've seen my, you know, you've seen my background, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I am changing my frame of mind a lot recently because what I've noticed is if you go in as a social enterprise or an impact yeah. first business, um, it's hard to get traditional capital in any market and yeah, here exactly. in California to even look at you. So you almost have yeah. to say, look, I have a business. And then if somebody's asking about the impact side, you kind of say, oh, I've thought about that. You know, I'm pulling out. Yeah. The impact I think that's yeah. a much more successful approach, especially with VC and large Absolutely. tech companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I love the fact that you caught on to the question before I even asked, because uh -huh. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they're impact focused, impact led, and they're social enterprises to begin with mm -hmm. and fo forget the business component and scalability side. So it's, you know, it goes hand in hand. And the approach at early level you're saying is, you know, just focus on the business, the impact is generated as a byproduct, right? And that can be ingrained within the value chain as the company scales. That's very interesting, um, you know, coming out. Um, so I just wanted to focus on the investor side, right? So when we sort of started out as a network, we only had about three to 4% women investors. Um, we were, again, very cognizant about the fact that we want to reach out to women-focused um, businesses and investors alike, right? And Ariana and Marine, who's been part of our team, has done a wonderful job to attract uh, new women investors into the chapter, right? Now we have around 9% who are at least women-focused or women-led investors, right? Um, what would you give as an advice for us uh, to actually have more uh, women investors joining us with BWIN, right? Not only from Bangladesh, but outside of it as well. Yeah, so I would take the existing women you have and ask them to tap other women or um, almost suggest or serve as ambassadors for the work that you're doing. Um, they might find that there are some women out there who've always wanted to, but have never done it yet, don't have the training, don't have the mentorship, et cetera. 
then as existing members, you know, we can kind of help support them, fill any gaps that they have, get, you know, get those sort of needs satisfied so they feel comfortable, confident joining. Um, I think what would certainly help is if you're approaching first time female investors and giving them an opportunity to both learn and invest at the same time, just like Portfolio has done, that works really well because it removes the hesitation and the, the barrier because you're uh, positioning it as a way for these females to learn and interact with businesses and enterprises and other females, as well as to, to invest and join the network. Um, so maybe you can say, you know, you have to at minimum invest XYZ annually and pay a such and such membership fee. Um, but we will give you exposure to all of these opportunities and of course the market as well. So I'd say that's important. Um, I'd say thinking outside of those who have roots in Bangladesh is, is important too. There's so many people who are interested in Bangladesh as a market, which is very exciting. Just as a pure business play, there are so many people who are interested. I think they hesitate because of the risk they, they perceive to be involved. They don't understand, you know, some of the components on the ground. So being at the forefront of really opening up that market um, through females, I think would be a great way to approach it as well. And I know we're short on time, so I'll just stop there. No, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for that. I think that's a great segue into my last question, which is any advices for the first time investors that are onboarding? And uh, as you mentioned that they should be interacting with uh, the companies, other investors, right? But like um, in terms of evaluation or any any advice for them uh, to look into? Um, becoming a judge in some of these um, competitions, whether it be for youth or for more seasoned investors, uh, it gives you exposure to a lot of pitch decks, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of ways to present the same information. So I think that is key. Um, and if you can't do that, like literally go online and make sure you understand how different companies like Airbnb, et cetera, have done their pitches. Make sure you know how to do a pitch. Take a foundational course on Coursera or an online platform in the domain or topic you're interested in. So you have that expertise as well. Um, and then take like a basic course on impact investing, et cetera, that's available for free, that kind of thing. So I would also follow key sort of investors who are already out there in, on LinkedIn or otherwise see what they're posting. So just keep up on the space domain you're interested in, keep on, up on the impact investing space at large and how it's changing and try to get yourself opportunities to really have interactions with the entrepreneurs and enterprises themselves. Because I do understand a lot of investors have never been entrepreneurs themselves. Some have, some haven't. Um, so that would be sort of the immediate advice. Excellent. I think this has been really excellent, um, but this has been really engaging as a conversation. Take care. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you, everyone.